What's happening, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of Rapping with Reef Bum. I'm your host, Keith Perkelhammer. So on today's live stream, I welcome Josh Saul from Manhattan Reefs, Reefs.com, and Advanced Aquarius. What's up there, Josh? Hey, how's it going, Keith? Good to see you, Good man. Good to see you too, man. So Josh is a consultant for tech startups, right? Technology consultant for tech startups. He has been involved in the aquarium hobby for 25 years and has been scuba diving even longer for more than 30 years. He is also the owner and president of Manhattan Reefs, which was founded in 2000, and he founded Reefs Magazine in 2008 and 2019. He acquired the Advanced Aquarist and Reefs.org. But before we start chatting with Josh, I want to thank the sponsors for this show, both Bulk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine. Really appreciate those companies supporting the stream, as well as you folks out there. I see there's a bunch of uh, familiar folks out there tuning in. Appreciate the support. Spread the word. And don't forget to hit that like button. Right, Paul? Our moderator, Great Bearder Riff, was always reminding folks to hit that like button so more people can uh, can find it. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and do that. And as always, I encourage everybody to drop comments and ask questions in the chat. So, Josh, man, we, um, we first met... I don't exactly know when it was, but we, we met at a Manhattan Reefs frag swap. I can't remember when. Um, you know, as I mentioned, you're the owner and president of Manhattan Reefs. Were you also the founder or no? I was the founder, yeah. I mean, you say president, it's like we have some sort of org structure, but it's always been, you know, very laid back to our community. Um, we don't have like, you know... Um, titles or anything like that. It's really just more of like a, a website that happens to have a really cool event in New York. And um, no, I definitely remember, I don't remember exactly meeting you, but always like uh, carried this kind of reputation as the SPS guy from up in uh, uh, West Connecticut. Connecticut, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah Westchester, yeah. So, I was in Westchester and then I moved to Connecticut. Yeah, so I knew that, um, you know, everyone before our swaps, everyone always like reserves things and you would go in there and drop, you know, like 10 photos and it would just be like, just those killer, like, um, classic SPS, you know, and, and very bright colors. So I'd always jump all over everything you always had. So Nothing's really changed, Josh. You know, I still like, you know, the classics, and I'm still into, like, the brightly colored SPS. You know, for me, it, stuff. yeah, you know, for me, it's kind of like, um, you know, things that catch the eye and, and solid yeah. colors. I mean, the Oregon Blue Tort, I don't think you get any better in terms of, like, classic, no. just striking blue color, you know, and... and uh, Ornana... Yeah, and the, even uh, like style of fours, you know, like give me a, like a big solid pink or purple style. Purple red. Yeah, yeah, those are beautiful. Yeah, or a uh, Green Valley Slimer. I just, um, mm -hmm. you know, I'm still kind of like drawn to all that stuff. Yeah. But things have changed a lot since then, that's for sure. Oh, my God. I, You know, I go to these shows and it's like my mind is just blown. You know, you think back to, you know, kind of 2000 era and – things did not look anything like this. It's like, what ocean are they getting these things out of these days? Like, have we not discovered all of the amazing, like, beautiful, limited edition SPS corals yet? It seems we haven't. There's still, you know, every every time I go to a show, there's something out there that there's a frag that's like a thousand bucks. And it looks incredible. But like you, you know, I do like, you know, the Beatles and Led Zeppelin. It's like, just give me the classics. <laughs> so, um let me uh, let, let's talk more about Manhattan Reefs. You know, I had uh, Randy uh, Randy Donowitz on, and and Randy is also a big part of uh, Manhattan Reefs and yeah. uh, Reefs dot dot com. 
and uh, you know, we we talked a lot about it. But um, you know, how how did you um, become involved? I mean, had you been reef keeping, you know, before you started Manhattan reefs, or was that kind of something that you started to get into reef keeping? And you were like, you know, I'm in I'm in New York, and I'd like to meet like minded folks. I mean, how did that all come about for you? Yeah, it was it was that exactly. I mean, really, I got into the hobby because um, you know I learned to scuba dive at an early age, and once you for people that don't dive. Once you go down, you see these corals and this like other world. It's like, you know, you seeing some interplanetary like experience, um, really profound. And then once you've done that, if you walk into any sort of pet store or aquarium store, like you just go straight past the lizards and the turtles and everything. And you just look for that kind of bright blue light. And these animals, you know, you think that they're plants at the time, but you're just kind of drawn to it. So, um, you know, when I, when I first moved up to Manhattan around 1999, um, about a year and a half after school, I wanted to get something interesting, you know, to kind of entertain my friends and, you know, to track girls and stuff like that. And obviously I like, you know, I'm into music, so I like the, the, the purple, the blue light and all that. So I went out to an aquarium store um, and uh, yeah, just kind of started asking lots of questions. Eventually picked up a uh, 34 gallon tank and uh, that was that was it. It's like that's that was the starting point. And in Manhattan, there were just not a lot of stores. Yeah, you know, there, were not, there weren't a lot of stores at the time. There were there were two that I can recall. And one of them was down on the eighth on Eighth Street. Um, I remember that uh, store in the village World Aquarium. Yeah. Owned by Sresha, right. And um, Sresha had that crazy octopus that used to like attack people. Um, but we go in there and just like I was like, I got it. I got to get into this hobby and it's very expensive. And so I ended up like buying all the stuff way out on, you know, Bushwick, um, you know, where things were a little bit cheaper, but the only place to get livestock was down there. And then somehow I like, you know, searching on the internet and found reefs.org and reef central, obviously those were the two big uh, places to go at the time. And um, I started like finding people that were selling frags and trading frags in New York city and, and the surrounding areas. And, uh, like we just, you know, we're like a common breed. Like we just, for the fact that we are carrying around bags of hot salt water around the city and just doing like weird sort of things, you know, going like to buy like crazy amounts of plumbing at odd hours. Mm-hmm. You just, it's kindred spirits, right? So eventually I kind of fell in with this um, group of people and um, it was myself and Jim Curry and um, a few other people. And we decided to... Um, have like a get together and the first get together was at a or I should technically call this a swap the first get together was at a, a bar uh, down by Jim's uh, school by Pace we went down there and um, and then from there it was like okay we went to all these different bars and then we realized we were just getting too big for bars and we did it in in this actually in this apartment which is actually pretty small um, and I remember we bought 50 Rikordia Yumas we all like chipped in on the Yumas and everybody showed up with a whole bunch of frags. We just had like, we ordered pizza and beer and stuff like that. And then we moved to um, uh, Jonathan Hale's apartment in uh, the West Village. And Jonathan had this big, you know, 130 gallon SPS tank. And like the crowd was getting to, you know, like 50 some odd people. I was, I should say around this time, um, I'm a tech person. So I just kind of like put up this website called manhattanreefs.com. And um, and I told all the people like, hey, let's just chat there instead of Reef Central and everything. And this just like it had a life of its own. It just took off. 
And we started to like have 50 people at these events and it just got really crowded. We started to go out to, um, we did it in the back of a, a store out in Brooklyn. This guy named Sean had this store. We would do it in Brooklyn. And at that time we like in the back of the shop, like we would have a keg. So it was just <laughs> really like kind of a group and like family event. And I remember um, there was a holiday party at Sean's place one time. And this guy came up to me and he's like, I'm Randy. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we were talking. We had been talking about some some articles that had been published or something. And he's like, yeah, I got my tank like right down the street at, at Pratt. I want to come take a look. And I had heard that he had just like this beautiful tank. Um, so I hopped in his car and we drove over and I took a look at it. And he had like, you know, three tanks at the time. It's just incredible that this was not just in someone's apartment, but was actually like in I'm showing the, the picture of Randy. The only picture I have of Randy on the bottle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it was just like um, – I don't know, Randy and I, you know, we're, we're like best friends. So uh, that was a um, kind of chance in, encounter. And um, Randy had this space at Pratt, you know, first, I think the first two times we did it in his office, which if you've ever been there, mm -hmm. you know, it's the writing center and all the tanks are there, which is really cool. But it's not like the biggest yeah. place. And it's, you couldn't have vendors. Like we didn't have vendors. Right. And um, so then eventually we realized, hey, there's this, um, student union like this kind of student center downstairs that they have like parties and things so we decided we're going to approach the administration about it and randy did all the work and reached out and yeah it's a little bit nerve-wracking you think randy is like you, you know an employee of the school and he's going into the administration office and saying i want to have like 200 people come in <laughs> and they're all going to be bringing like tanks of water and we're going to plug in all this electricity and then we're going to like charge money and 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 I'm sure they looked at him like he was nuts at first, <laughs> but um, he he did a lot of the legwork, and you know I helped out. I got to say, you know, my hats off to, to Randy for getting that started. And we had a, a great a great event, and we were using that space for I don't even know how many years. And we were doing two events. We were doing that event, and then we also figured out we could do the same thing down at Pace. So we had a spring and a fall, unlike a lot of other clubs, we did two swaps, which is good and bad like it was it was it was bad in that it was a lot of work but it was good in that you kind of get a rhythm you get good yeah. at it yeah yeah and we had done it in those places so many times we just developed this pattern and we were all friends and we weren't like you know it wasn't like this big organized thing we were just like we're just having a good time so it just this community in new york there aren't a lot of shops but there are a lot of people that are in these apartments and they want something that looks really cool so they end up with an aquarium and when you find these people, you just kind of coalesce, which is uh, profound for me. Pretty cool. Corey Page, thank you so much for that super chat. So, um, Josh, all right. So you, you mentioned that, um, you know, you, you uh, it kind of morphed into having two swaps per um, per year. But when yeah. COVID hit, right, the uh, the swaps stopped. Any um, any insight in terms of when you guys might start those up? Because I'm I'm really uh, chomping at the bit here. I would love to go. Oh my god! That you, you have, you have, yeah, you have, you have no idea. I mean, um, we, we, there was a time where we just we didn't do a swap. We skipped the swap, and not people were just going bonkers. And then COVID, and you can imagine, you know, colleges and certainly, yeah. you know, colleges where it's not really like their business to have a frag swap in their in their student union. Admittedly, it's a um, you know, an art school. So there is some crossover there and all the tank, everybody knows when you're walking around Pratt where the aquariums are. So if you like, if somebody needs to go to the writing center, they're like, where's the writing center? Oh, it's where the aquariums are. And they know how to get there. So it, it, it you know, I think it's, it be, has become a part of the, 
the, the fiber of the school. Um, but the truth is that, um, you know, these universities, they're, you know, they're trying to figure out, well, does everyone have to be vaccinated? Does everyone have to be tested? And I think until just recently, people have not been comfortable with any sort of like group event. Now, the problem is that we could start planning something and we would like to do something in the fall. And we are indeed working to like try and cool. secure a space in the, in the fall. and like looking for Randy to like holler in uh, uh, the chat, but um, we would like to do that, but it comes down to. I'm showing that picture the, of Randy again. <laughs> oh, the, the, no, on the, the bottle, the, the bottle. So there's a funny story about that. Um, if, if I can tell it. Yeah, yeah, time. yeah. No, go tell it. Um, and then we'll get back so to the swap. We had, we had this, um, we had this kind of like small group after later on, like in the, you know, several years after Manhattan Reefs was founded, like, you know, I found Randy and then Randy was friends with Sanjay and Sanjay and then Joey Ayulo and Joe Cap and Christine, everyone. And anyhow, we had this like summer get together, uh, which at the time was called uh, San Joe. Um, which was basically Sanjay and Joe Yaulo. So these guys get together and it just turns into this like explosive sort of experience. And we had the San Joe and we did it a couple places. And then um, I have this kind of family house in Atlantic City, the island. And so we did it there. And I went down there and I bought a, you know, we bought a bunch of alcohol and I get down there. Sanjay shows up and Sanjay likes to drink rum and I like to drink rum. And I bought this random uh, Venezuelan rum, which looked nice. And Sanjay and I, we drank it in like, it was like less than two hours we drank this whole bottle. Mm. Just the two of us. And we were like, this has got to be like 20 proof, like something really low. And we go and look and it's, no, it's like legitimately like an 80 proof rum. And we were just like, this is this the is most- surprising, like, Josh, you remembering the story. If this is the <laughs> most, yeah, that's true. It's the most fabulous tasting rum. Like you don't mix it with Coke or anything like that. We just, a piece of ice. So we were drinking this bottle and we were having such a good time. We're taking a lot of photos in this in my family house, the, this summer house, and we're holding up this bottle. And on the front of this bottle, as you know, I think you've shown a couple of times, is a picture of this, this guy. So we post the pictures on Facebook and Facebook is pretty smart about like facial recognition. So we're holding this thing up and it says, that's Josh Saul, that's Sanjay Yoshi. And it, tags the bottle and says that that's Randy Donowitz. <laughs> so it, it thinks that that, that uh, it, I think you're showing the picture with actually Randy on the bottle. Yeah. But if you've seen the bottle, it's not Randy at all. It's just Facebook seems to think that that dude, that Venezuelan rum producer is Randy. <laughs> so then Randy, you know, he works with all these art students. We went to Mac then. Now we're like, now this is like the rum of choice. So we're always bringing a couple bottles with us. And one of his art students printed out these labels for it. Awesome. It says, instead, instead of Diplomatico, it says Donowitzico <laughs> Rifa Reserva. <laughs> so we have these labels. Whenever we show up at this thing, we put the labels on the bottles. Kind of a tradition. All right, here's another uh, funny picture. This looks like uh, Rich Ross and uh, Sanjay. And it says, I got Sanjay. And then uh, Sanjay's <laughs> holding up on the real Rich Ross. What's the story behind that one? Well, um, you know, there was that, that like kind of period where there were those photo booths at all the different ah. events. And we were like the first to like, because we had done one at my, my I had a surprise birthday party where all these guys, obviously all my friends were, were there, including all the people we're talking about. And so we got one of these booths for Magna 
And we, instead of just having like, you know, the pirate's hat and like the fish and everything, we got all the little things that say, I'm the real Rich Ross or like, I got Sanjade and all the inside industry kind of humor in. Um, oh my God, we've got like thousands of photos of-, of See, now, the, I, now his, I get this, that Sanjay's wearing the octopus on his head, just like uh, Rich- uh, He's Ross, he's yes, got Ross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, man, so- um, let, let's get back to uh, the uh, the swaps and all that stuff. So yeah, obviously yeah. COVID and, and what have you put a wrench in, in the uh, in the plans. But you know, I think the other reality of the situation, and, and this is not probably just um, you know a, an issue for Manhattan reefs, is uh, finding a space right that can be affordable space that is also a space that people can get to and park and all that sort of thing. What what kind of challenges do you guys have you guys had, and um, do you foresee that being, you know. Um, more and more challenges in the future to put these events on. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really the hardest thing in, in New York. If you try and get one of these spaces, it's, I mean, the last time I looked, it was like $8,000 a day. Wow. And, and because, you know, it's not an, you can't, it's not like a sneaker convention where you just, everybody shows up with boxes of sneakers at a table. People need to set up the night before. So you're blocking out Saturday and Sunday in order to do a one day event. And that means, okay, now my sunk cost, so just to put on the show is $16,000 and maybe I've got two to 300 people showing up and we didn't want to charge people like $50 to get in. Like that was never, like we wanted to like, originally it was five bucks. And then eventually I think we started charging a little bit more. So we never wanted to do that. And I have looked at all of the event spaces in Manhattan and you know, it's Manhattan. Like there's art shows, exhibits competing with us, fashion, yeah. Uh, every everything under the sun is trying to find a space in Manhattan. So you have to find things that are kind of friendly to what you're doing and a space where somebody wouldn't really use that for anything else. Like no one's going to run like, you know, um, a fashion show in in the Pratt Student Union. Although Randy's probably screaming right now that like, no, they actually have like a student like fashion thing that they run there a couple of times. But my point remains, it's really, really hard to do it. So it makes sense that the big shows are in New Jersey. I mean, I know they say New York, but everyone that hasn't been yeah. there, it's on the other side of the river. It's in New Jersey. It's at a real convention center, good parking, good hotel. That's the other thing. We were saying, all right, if we were going to have people come from out of town and we have to, you know, people want to stay at a hotel, there are no hotels in Manhattan that are under $200, you know, a night. We were trying to figure out if we could ever do a magnet here. And at the time, we talked to the, you know, the Mazna board, and it was sort of like, well, you need to find a place where people can pay a, at the time $150 a night. It's like instantly like, well, okay, it's <laughs> That's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So the good thing is that, you know, we don't need it to be fancy. Like we're okay with industrial space. I'm always looking for new spaces. Um, admittedly, COVID has put a damper on searching for new spaces. We haven't done anything in pace in a long time because, you know, again, this is kind of a, you know, our, our group, Jim worked there. Jim was administrator. Jim made the administration trust us enough to, you know, right. to like give us a space for the day. I mean, we still have to pay for it, but it's it's more of a trust sort of thing. So, and we like doing it with the educational backing because then that makes it more of more than just like, hey, we're just charging money and everybody comes in and buys frags and then they get out. It's like, no, actually, this is affiliated with some sort of learning institution, and it's it just it feels more valid to me to, to like why I want to put on, on the event. So we're always looking, um, hopefully we're going to, we're going to turn the corner on COVID. I think we're mm. trending in the right direction. Well, I think we're actually trending in the wrong direction, but it, 
like over a longer period of time, people are more um, on, like they understand how to mitigate their own risk and they know, yeah. you know, more people are certainly vaccinated. So I think we're, we're getting close to doing something. I mean, I'm just, you know, not just going crazy myself because I can't do it, but everybody asking me and Randy, even more so everybody asks. I just say, they asked me, when's the next swap? I said, ask Randy, which must drive him crazy. <laughs> so uh, Reef Under the Roof is asking, how hard is it to keep a reef club going? So obviously swaps are just one part of it. But um, yeah, how hard is it, Josh? Has it been harder? Um, the hardest it's ever been for you? It's really, really hard, especially without without events. I mean, the one thing to understand is that, you know, we're not really, at least for us, for Manhattan Reefs, it's not really a club. It's more like we're all in New York City or the, the tri-state area, and it's a website just to facilitate community. We don't have regular meetings. We don't have an e-board. We don't have anything like that. That's just like, it's almost not necessary. We're just known for, we run these swaps, we run some group buys. Um, we have like these weird, weird events. Like we have like, we had like this event, which I ran a few times where everybody needs glue. So I just buy glue in bulk and we just show up at a restaurant and then all these people are coming in, like stocking up on glue, which blew the, you know, the minds of the, the restaurant owners. Like they thought we were dealing drugs. Seriously, like they're coming in. All these guys were just showing up, getting these little boxes and running out the door. They thought we were like snorting the glue. Um, but we like to run things that are a little off the wall. Like the one thing that I always try to focus on is in this hobby is just don't take yourself too seriously. Right. This is supposed to be relaxing, supposed to, you know, fill some kind of time or void in your life and you just need to enjoy it. So if we're doing like a ton of work to maintain the thing, it seems to eventually um, you run into issues, you run into personality issues and drama and politics. And I don't like any of that sort of stuff. To go back to the question, um, if you have a community that is solely based online, then it's challenging, but it's not impossible. Um, have you guys given thought to, um, you know, you, you, you talked about, um, you know, education and all that stuff at swaps and having guest speakers and you guys have some kick-ass guest speakers. I mean, some top, top notch, yeah. um, speakers, you know, given, uh, the, uh, the zoom thing that's been going on with the pandemic and how easy it's been for people to uh, connect, you know, virtually, have you guys thought about maybe doing like maybe once a quarter or once a month or something like that, a uh, yeah. speaker type of deal? We have. I think that we're, you know, we're probably a little late to that. Um, but just trying to, like, focus on the DNA of, like, why people are still, like, really excited and passionate about Manhattan Reefs 20 plus years later. It's because of that community. Like, yeah. when you, I mean, you know, when you go to the swap, like, you may not know everybody's names, but it really feels like like a family sort of thing. Like, just people there with their significant others, with their kids. We always try and have like some entertainment for for other people that are there. And, you know, you make all these kind of advanced trades or sales and you show up with your cooler and you're just kind of there for the day. And, yeah, you're looking for stuff, but you're just you're just meeting people like we we have swaps where people show up at the swap and they're like, I'm not even in the hobby anymore, but I have a whole bunch of friends here. Yeah. So I figured I'd you know, come and pretty cool. hang out. So it's a little it's a little bit different. And I think that people that have done like the more traditional aquarium clubs and events and, and meetings and speakers, they've always like shown up at our swaps and been like, this is definitely different. And I hope that it's not just us. I mean, I, I 
you know, it'd be cool if like, hey, we're the only people that have this kind of thing. But at the same time, I hope that more clubs have a real community. You just like show up because your friends are there. Paul, great beer to read. Thank you so much, man, for the uh, for the super chat comments. Always appreciate a good stream. Thanks, Keith and Josh. Couldn't agree more on the family and community aspect. Yeah, I mean, I just that's that's my recollection, uh, Josh. You know, just when I first started going to Manhattan uh, Reefs Frag Swaps, it was it seemed like there was a lot of swapping going on. There weren't like a lot yeah. of vendors at those uh, first uh, swaps. I don't re- at least I don't remember. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there were a decent amount of vendors. But um, yeah, I think that was like the cool thing. You know, I, I met uh, Kenny Lynn at a, um, you mm-hmm. know, at a swap before he went pro, you know, and, and, yeah. uh, he used to join the big leagues. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He had some sweet stuff. So I think we might've, uh, swapped stuff, but, uh, you know, that's, that's the great thing. That's the thing I loved about the, uh, the hobby back then, you know, before all the online stuff is you, you kind of get caught up in all the social media and, um, the, you know, the virtual aspect yeah. of it. But I, I do think it's very important that, um, you know, folks can attend some sort of swap trade show you know, event in person that, um, it's invaluable in terms of making those connections, meeting like-minded folks and talking to manufacturers and talking to the coral vendors and seeing things like, you know, up close and personal. It's a pretty cool thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, all right. So in, in the intro, I mentioned you not only uh, are the owner of Manhattan Reese, but you also own Reese magazine. So what was the, um, what was the emphasis, you know, in terms of why you wanted to start, um, the impetus in terms of why you want to start Reefs Magazine. Well, um, we were actually producing content. Like we had people that were writing like kind of really long posts in our in our forums and threads and whatnot. <clears throat> and um, uh, Jonathan Hale, who's like uh, kind of a, you know, he's a hobbyist, obviously, but um, a photographer and an artist. And he does he's just like jack of all things kind of cool. He's got a really good eye for, for stuff. Yep. And um he just said, well, there's no like cool, like, you know, there's Coral Magazine at the time, but there was nothing that was online that was just like really just sharp looking. It didn't look like just a fabulous magazine. So he started working on it before me. And he just showed up at my apartment one time um, with him and this this guy named Don. And they just like laid out these pieces of paper and they were like, we want to do this thing called Reese Magazine. And um you know, we want you to support it and all that. And I'm like, this is awesome. Like, this is kind of what we were doing already, but you just took this, you know, really professional approach to it, like really high quality photos and content. So he started working on it and he did, you know, a few issues and, um, you know, he, other things came up in, in his life as, as they do and done happened for me many times. And um, I sort of took, took on like ownership or leadership of it. For a while, I mean, it was still running on our servers the whole time. And then, um, you know, Randy kind of got into the picture and Randy has a good background being, you know, running the writing center. And um, <laughs> Randy has like a degree in Sanskrit, which, you know, mm. apparently comes in, it becomes valuable at, at some point in um, the future or something like that. I'm making jokes about Randy. <laughs> but um, anyhow, so Randy is the, the senior editor of... Uh, Reefs magazine, and he worked with a couple of his students and his administrators. Um, I should mention um, Brian Cook for sure. Um, uh, there are others that I'm not mentioning, but um, they really built this thing up. And um, you know, Randy would say, "Okay, we want to do this article. We need like budget and everything." And he would, you know, he would go and get the right people, get the right content 
create it, and then myself and Brian would work on the visual aspects. And we just did this for many years. And um, again, it sort of took on a life of its own. And uh, we started having like, we'd go to Magna and have like the Reese Magazine thing and like a party. And we, it would be part of, uh, you know, we would have a booth there at the time. And um, again, just took on a life of its own. Never, never really with the goal of making a lot of money. It was always just like, just make enough money so we can pay the authors. And, you know, we just did this thing for fun. So it's another one of those stories where it's kind of serendipity. So, all right. And, and then um, at uh, some point later, you ended up buying Advanced Aquarius magazine, right? Yeah. So um, somewhere in there, I started um, Reefs.com. Right. Was okay. Just right. Reefs.com. We had quite, we like had all this content. We had a great forum. We had a magazine. We were kind of like writing some bloggy stuff. So we started this website, Reefs.com. And we had the magazine, Reefs Magazine, the forum and, and all that. And um, then uh, just to, to answer your question, you know, we became friends with all the other people in the industry. And we just had like kind of a very similar sort of um, approach to what we were doing as the guys at Advanced Aquarist. Um, Shane, Len, Wade, and obviously Terry. You know, it wasn't they all had day jobs and it was really just more of a hobby thing. And they just wanted to put out good content. So we were always hanging out with them and talking to them and trying to like kind of, you know, um, have some synergy between us and them. And they also, you know, Advanced Aquarius was started by, by Terry and um, uh, they also owned uh, Reefs.org, which was another big online community um, a long time ago. And uh, they decided that, um, you know, was they weren't really in it anymore. Mm. So we, instead of letting them just kind of like, you know, hopefully not shut it off and like lose all that content, lose all the community, lose the um, everything that they had, they had made. We decided to buy that, buy the content, buy the, the trademarks and, and the, the website and the brand name and everything, and then import all of that into our, our platform. Uh, so that took a lot of time, um, consumed me for, for a great amount of time. But I think we were able to really preserve something that was, I mean, I think it's really valuable. I mean, I know from search engine optimization that there are a lot of people that are searching for this content. So we made it indexable. We made it, you know, we, we freshened it up a little bit, made it look a little, a little, a little fancier. Um, so now we have this kind of advanced Aquarius brand. And if you think about like the, the things that we're trying to do on the website, one is just educate the, the beginner, um, you know, reefer. But then there's also this other level that people operate on where they know all of the, yeah. the technology, all of the chemistry, all of the physics, all that stuff. And there are people that like to write about this, you know, like Sanjay gets a new light and he'll go and like run a million tests on it and get the par meter. And like he's got this like testing lab in his basement. So there's a there's an audience for these really advanced topics. And that moniker, Advanced Aquarist, is like the kind of top level of um, technical and kind of scientific analysis in the hobby. That's what we try to maintain. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting, you know, in terms of like having these, um, uh, sources of information that are legit, that, that, um, are driven by, you know, people in the industry that are, are, are experts in, in certain things that they do. So, you know, I, I talked about social media before and, you know, there's so much information out there that, um, you know, and, and it's, there's some good information out there, 
via social media and there's also some not so good information. You know, we have influencers like myself on YouTube who, who share their experiences also like on Instagram and we didn't have this stuff years ago, but, um, you know, so when I first got into the hobby, a lot of people like myself learn by reading books, by, um, you know, re reading the, uh, the trade magazines and, and, and stuff like that. So what are your thoughts about the information ecosystem today that exists in terms of like, there's just so many different things, source of information. There's so many experts out there. And, and, uh, a lot of times, yeah. uh, you know, these so-called experts aren't really experts and potentially could be giving newbies some bad advice. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, well, you said, I think you kind of, I answered my own question. Well. Is that what I you did answer? You did answer your own question. Um, there are a couple of things that are happening or that have happened. One is that the technology's gotten a lot better. So just much easier to take care of a tank. And, you know, if you're a, a fairly patient person and you can consume a little bit of technical information and you go into a store that's trusted and like buy some things, you're going to do pretty well. So you don't have to have this backing community. You don't have to read, you know, Julian's book or, um, you know, it, it, you don't have to suck up all this information in order to figure it out. You can listen to influencers. There are influencers that'll say, you know, just do this and it works. And it, there are a lot of people that have done that, you know, like Three Reef. I mean, that was kind of like the basis of that website. It was like, there were three rules, right? And uh, Mr. Saltwater Tank, he just lays it all out there. It's very simple. It's like um, reefing for, for dummies. I mean, I hate that kind of moniker, but it's for, hey, I don't even care. I don't even want to know anything. Just tell me how to get the tank up and running. Um, so I think that, that that hides the fact that people aren't really digesting the scientific information that's necessary to reach the higher levels and to really push the hobby forward, which is unfortunate. Um, but at the same time, it brings a lot more people and a lot more money into the hobby, mm. which helps in a lot of other ways because we get more uh, recognition and people know about the hobby and you have... Uh, more visibility as far as the social media stuff outside of the influencers the individuals I, I really I have a real problem with the social media. I mean, obviously I use social media and we use social media reefs.com and all the websites But there's you, there's no index. There's nothing there. You know, it's like you want an answer right then and there and in addition to your answer, you're gonna get blasted by like 10 other people for like how stupid you are or like this or that, you know that's what that experience is like. You can't find an article about something. You find a link to an article, maybe. Um, but more often than not, it's getting some information at a specific point in time. It's not curated content. It's not somebody thought and put a lot of time into researching something and putting all the information together. So, um, I, you know... I just have a, a feeling that um, these hobby-specific communities offer real value and curated content, and people who are interested in talking about that topic, not within a stream of all their other interests, but mm -hmm. they just they're they thinking about reef aquariums. They go to a reef site, they start talking to people. Not Facebook, where you know, oh, I'm interested in motorcycles and aquariums and you know, blackjack. And I have to like go through all these different things and like, you know, answer all these different questions or get involved in these things. I think that the communities are 
are always going to have some sort of gravity. They're, they're going to be there. They're going to maintain content. They're going to develop content. And that is, you know, the knowledge and, and understanding that's going to outlive and outweigh all the social, you know, social media and social interaction that's just kind of fly by night. I mean, that's my opinion. I think the market probably probably disagrees with me. But um, from a hobby perspective, it, it, you know, we don't have to like be perfect on Facebook. Let's just continue to sort of, you know, entertain ourselves. Maybe, right. maybe it's a closed environment, but I don't know. I'm OK with that. What about like on Manhattan Reefs? You know, you guys have forums and there's conversations that are going on and, and people are, um, you know, asking for advice, giving advice and all that sort of thing. How how um, do the moderators, you know, how, how tough do they police that sort of thing in terms of like if there's blatant misinformation posted, do they uh, are they stepping in to like, you know, say, hey, hold on a second, put a stop sign up there? Or is it pretty much, um, you know, you're just trying to like make sure that people are not, you um, getting bullied or, or, uh, you know, um, that sort of thing. But, you know, how, how, how tough do you guys try to police the misinformation piece of it? Um, we don't have, there isn't a policy for, we must promote good information. It's sort of like the community will suss that out. It'll, you know, enough people will chime in and say, you know, no, you can't, you know, you can't have your specific gravity one Oh, you know, one eight, and expect to keep SP, like just stupid stuff. Um, that being said, the people that moderate Manhattan Reefs and Reefs.com forums are really passionate people. So they get involved in all the conversations. And I don't think that they specifically um, like they're not they're not wearing their moderator hat when they go into a conversation where there's bad information being passed around. They're just more of like um you know, just a friendly hobbyist just saying, no, but, you know, have you thought about this? Have you tried this? What's, you know, what's your test result for this? Nowhere in the moderator forums um, or are kind of like, you know, we have some rules written down somewhere. Nowhere does it say we are policing for bad information. It just sort of goes without saying that these people that are, you know, that are willing to put in their time to support a community by, policing all the bad behavior that they do want to help people get their aquariums to run well. So, uh, you know, luckily we've never had to like enforce that or say that to the moderators. They're just, they're passionate people. So our, um, moderator for the live stream, Paul, <clears throat> great bitter reef is actually the president of the, uh, excuse me, Boston Reefer Society. And I had him on the live stream and we, we talked about some similar topics. And, and one thing that I asked him that I'd like to ask you is, um, you know, in terms of recruiting new members, how, how do you guys, um, you know, how, how do you guys go about doing that in terms of, you know, the, the youth of the hobby is really the uh, the most important aspect of it. So, you know, A, how do you guys recruit new members no matter what age? And then B, how do you uh, target younger folks? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's really hard. Originally, what we would do was we would go to all the local fish stores and we would, you know, we would have relationships with the owners and, and whatnot. And we would put business cards out there. Um, and stickers and things to try and get people to go to the website and people who are members of Manhattan Reefs If you go into a local fish store and say hey is there a Manhattan Reef discount? They get some sort of discount or, or special We hope that that's like a you know symbiotic relationship with the stores and and with with the website like we're not selling things online um, And we're trying to get people to go into the we do support the stores. We try and get get people in there um, It's hard 
it's it, it's hard to understand how to get people in this day and age where um, there aren't really brick and mortar and there's even less here. The only thing that I can really say about it is that in New York, we've been challenged with the lack of brick and mortar stores forever. And we still manage to have like, you know, a really good community and people just kind of, there's this word of mouth sort of thing where when people meet another person who happens to be in the community, that person generally introduces them in some way. Right. It's almost like it was a, you know, we didn't need to do anything. I mean, we did put out business cards and stickers and, you know, and the stores, you know, they do help promote us as well. It's a, it's a, a mutual thing, but, um, we never really had to, had to focus a lot. I mean, I think probably we, we do have to do that, um, more than we're doing now. But again, that's, we have a lot of challenges because of COVID. We just do. Stories Reef, man. Rashid, thanks for that super chat. The comment is, hi, Josh. It's, uh, that guy 96 from MR. <laughs> I don't know if you remember, uh, I don't remember that guy 96, but I do, do know. Uh, no, yeah. Uh, uh, everything definitely. today is data driven. Ever think about collecting all reefing data and creating a master database? <laughs> that is a great question. The answer is yes, yes, and yes. And we've tried to do that with all sorts of stuff. So if you go to reefs.com and type in slash fish or slash coral or slash pests and slash invertebrates, that is our database that we have compiled from all of the information on the website. Like, yeah, we go out and, you know, work with like we, we went to ORA and we said, do we have all your photos and your care information? We'll put it all in our thing. So we did that. But in general, what we would do is somebody writes something about, oh, how do you keep this kind of starfish? And all that information would be included there. Now, it's not, you know, it's a lot of photos and descriptions. Not, I wouldn't say it's data driven. But at least it's a guide for people that are trying to understand, okay, I, you know, what's it, what is this coral? How do I identify this, this sort of thing? Um, so all of that is there. Um, all of the, the entire website is obviously very well indexed and very well linked. Data beyond that, um, you know, we tried at one point to capture data from people's controllers, but this was around the time of digital aquatics, you know, digital aquatics and and uh, Apex and Neptune and, and all that. And um, we had this thing working for two controllers and then one of the controllers dis you know, went out of business and then there were like 10 other controllers. So we're trying to get all this data into the website just to have it. And um, eventually we just, you know, we couldn't maintain that sort, that sort of thing. We also have Sanjay's lighting guide where he was cataloging and describing the, uh, the light, the performance of bulbs and the ballasts and the reflectors. Yep. So you can put in those three variables and it would compute what, what the output would be like. Unfortunately, with the advent of, of um, LEDs and really the advent of like these kind of, you know, mom and pop LEDs, lots of, you know, Chinese and Korean LEDs um, and people just building things from home DIY, which I think is great. It, we just weren't able to keep up with this this sort of stuff. If you can imagine that, not only does it cost money, but you have to get an expert to actually do the the performance, the you know the the analysis. And Sanjay has, a, you know, a day job as a professor, as well as a whole bunch of other things that he likes to do. So we couldn't exactly say, hey Sanjay, you know, where's the latest? Uh, you know, Radeon came out with Gen three X, you know, version one dot one. Like, why haven't you updated it? Who's got the it's time? All about, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so let's let's shift gears a little bit here, uh, Josh. You know, I think um, 
this hobby, there's kind of like these um, related hobbies. I'm really into fishing. It seems like I run into a lot of um, reef keepers that are into fishing. And um, other reef keepers are into scuba diving like you are. And, uh, you know, in the intro, I mentioned that you've been doing it for 30 plus years, I think, is uh, yeah. the uh, so the scuba diving came before the reef keeping hobby for you. And um, that actually I went um, snorkeling on my honeymoon, I think it was in Hawaii. And that kind of like got me, um, you know, when I grew up, my father kept fish only tanks. So I kind of I was exposed to it at a young age. But, um, you know, when I went snorkeling, it's just seeing all the, the fish and the corals and all that sort of thing just really got got reef keeping on the radar screen for me. Yeah. Is, um, is that a similar experience for you in terms of the scuba diving? Yeah, well, I did have like some tanks when I was younger. I mean, I, had, I kept turtles and like hermit crabs and things like that, um, but never, you know, reefing was not an option at the time. Um, first of all, I'll say that uh, if you can pick up scuba diving, it's better than snorkeling. It's much yeah. more relaxing. It's much more, um, you know, you reach this kind of like Zen state where, you know, you're just, you're not struggling. You're not struggling at the top of the water with waves going over you and breathing through this tube. You can, you can really relax and just enjoy the, the visuals. And, and then people get into photography. Um, scuba has always just been like just a real, a real passion for me. And, Luckily, I've been able to do it a bit more recently. Um, so this this summer, uh, I'm going to be going to uh, the Great Barrier Reef for a week to live on a, a liveaboard, wow. which I'm really looking forward to. Last summer, I went to um, uh, the Red Sea in Egypt, which was really, really great. It was a place I've always wanted to go. Just that that biotype of the um, the the antheas, you know, and just the the way that they you know, the, the reef is like blue and, and green. And then there's just this school of bright orange red fish that just appear and disappear like like in a split second. Um, there's just something that about that that is just, uh, you know, very, very spiritual. Yeah, you're, you're uh, right, because um, on the same, uh, you know, trip to Hawaii, I also did some scuba diving and uh, it was crazy. I, I, this is probably very atypical but um i think i spent one hour maybe it was or maybe it was two separate one hour lessons in the in the resort uh, swimming pool uh -huh. getting yeah. getting uh resort certified whatever that yeah, means and then uh, there you go it was like in an open ocean dive uh like the next yeah. day or something crazy but um you know unfortunately we we dove near where a uh, a river was feeding into the uh, the ocean in hawaii i think it might have been so um might have been in Maui. I can't remember. Yeah. And yeah, so it was all silty and all that stuff. But it was a very yeah. strange sensation in terms of like going down, you know, 20, 30 feet or whatever. And I just had like this dry throat and it was, uh, it yes. was a little, it was bizarre. And then, yeah. then I did it again um, off of um, in the Bahamas, but um, much shallower water, but it was a pretty cool experience. It's got a, it's, it's amazing, right? I mean, I've, I've done a lot of snorkel, not a lot of snorkeling. I've, I've, uh, I've snorkeled a handful of times, but um it's a uh, it's a really cool experience. So is is it um, just tough to kind of snorkel around and and uh, you know see certain things that uh, maybe you know, like th like to have on your uh, personal tank and <laughs> no you can't uh, make that happen. Um, yeah, that's uh, yes, definitely. Especially when you're seeing these things that you know are they're selling in the hobby for like you know a thousand dollars for this little piece. 
and you're just you're in front of like a half a mile of it. Yeah. I mean, you don't think you don't think about the the dollars. It's just sort of like it was always. I just want this this feeling in my house. You know, I'm not like I don't need that coral. Just like where I'm at mentally right now, on like floating on top of this this other world. Yeah. Can I put bottle this up and put this into my home yeah. so I can get back here when I've had a tough day at work? And that's what the aquariums are doing for people. They're like, you know, they're they're natural and they have a rhythm and a flow to them and they're funny and they're cute and you've got all these cool things going on. Um, it was never, you know, for me, the hobby has never really been about like the money. I mean, I get, I understand the money and it makes, it makes sense. Um, there's a whole, there's a business behind this and that yeah. I, I, I totally support it because at the end of the day, people that pay a thousand dollars for that tiny little piece of coral at a, at an economic level, they support the reef more than anybody else in the world. I know that sounds really almost perverse. All these like, you know, animal yeah. rights people just stay off the reef. Don't take anything out of the aquarium, out of the reefs. These things grow miles and hundreds of miles and a million directions every single year. If we take care of our planet, the things will keep growing. The biggest, the bigger problem is taking care of the planet. If we take care of the planet, the corals will be there. Yep. People paying a thousand dollars for a coral, that's actually inevitably, I know it's like a very small portion, but it is really supporting a local community, you know, a local family or, um, you know, just some country that makes their income, their GDP off of, you know, tourism and, and reefs. So it isn't people that are just like kind of sitting in, the, you know, far removed from the reefs that give a whole bunch of money to reef conservation. I really do think that our hobby prizes or, or um, emphasizes reef conservation. Now, we don't do the best job of um, marketing that and describing that to the industry or to the people outside of the industry. People are like, you take things out of the reef and you put them in your tank. How could that possibly be good for the earth? Um, first of all, it educates people. My kids mm. respect nature and respect the reef and know the animals that are down there and can describe them and have a scientific you know, they're they're curious. Right. That's 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 why we have zoos and aquariums and things like that. Having a little mini zoo, a little mini aquarium in your home is is really an amazing thing to, sure. to have. Um, I, I you know, I, again, it's really just back to I love scuba diving, having it in my home, even if it's a little a one foot cube of it when you're you know, you swim for miles. Um, it's enough. It's enough. What's the uh, the hope for the Great Barrier Reef uh, trip? I mean, are you going to, like, uh, see parts of the reef that are actually um, right there? I mean, there's parts of that uh, Great Barrier Reef that are struggling. Majorly. And uh, it's really, um, you know, I don't want to be kind of uh, self-centered about it, but I read the news. And I'm like, i got to take this trip in, you know, a couple of months. And, and they're like, major, major bleaching event. Because there was a, uh, I think, an El Nino or a La Nina event that um, Australia has – kind of the opposite um, uh, um, weather as us, yeah. right? So the hot point was in December, and it was way, way, way hot. So now everything was, like, bleached and, like, a lot of dying. And now when I go, it will be cooler, a lot cooler. So uh, it will be technically their winter. So I'll get to see, um, you know, what 
what has happened. Uh, that's not really why I'm going there. I've never been there before. So it's a bit unfortunate that, um, yeah. that that's one of the reasons. But, um, I mean, to be totally honest, I don't think it's going to be there much longer. It's not going to be a, a, a destination for, um, for people that are interested in seeing the reef. It just doesn't, it doesn't seem like that's in the cards. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm like, okay, all the reefs are going to die because going to other places you see, well, actually the reefs, reef life does move, you know, like yeah. if there's, if there's a certain temperature that's, that's bad, corals do actually sort of quote unquote migrate, or at least they, they, their eggs move around and they move into cooler areas. Unfortunately, some of the cooler areas are slightly out of the, you know, the range of the sun. So they have less um, ability to do photosynthesis. Um, it's too short a period for any sort of like kind of natural evolution, but there are corals that do indicate that they have uh, better, um, better ability to withstand temperatures. Like they have more kind of, um, you know, natural sunscreen within them. Um, so what we're going to, Unfortunately, I think what we're going to see is that we're going to lose some reefs and hopefully we'll spend a lot of time and money figuring out what's working in other areas and re potentially reseed. I, that's, I mean, it's horrible to even say that you have to do something like that. But, you know, looking at like what's going on in Florida, um, these conservation efforts where they kind of grow them in certain areas and then like move them back to areas that seem to be affected. Um, it's what we're going to have to do. Otherwise, we're going to lose the reefs. We're going to lose the fish stock. And that is just going to go right up the food chain. All of a sudden, you know, you're not going to have, not going to have fish. You're not going to have sushi. You're not going to have anything like this. It's not like the reef is just, you know, little tiny reef fish. Those little reef fish are being eaten by the fish that we're eating. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting, um, situation on, um, July 21st, I'm going to have, the folks from the Living Coral Biobank Bio on the show, and that's uh, oh, cool. Dean Miller and Dr. Charlie. Hopefully, Dr. Charlie uh, Vernon will um, will be yeah. on the show, and we'll um, I'm, I'm sure we'll be talking a lot about what they're doing to uh, to help preserve the uh, the reefs around there. It's um it's 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 a it's a big problem, and that's so. I have one other comment on that, and uh, <laughs> Charlie and everybody else will probably. In the scientific community will probably freak out, but um, I mean, I've said this to friends and certainly to Randy and other people in the community many, many times, but this hobby, it does really good things. And the fact that we're learning so much about coral biology and the sciences, and we are able to in some way um, maintain these very particular and finicky animals outside of their natural environment. You know, this idea of like, well, can we, can we arc, can we create an arc of some kind of, you know, keep the bio, like the, the animals out of the dangerous areas, which mm. could potentially be the ocean. And all of a sudden the hobby is, has the ability to, um, I don't want to say rescue, but just, just provide some, you know, ongoing, like, Hey, I'm just, I'm farming this livestock. Here it is. You can test things on it and maybe we could use this to, um, reseed reefs in the future it's a it's a big stretch but you know i do think the hobby is is really um more aligned with uh that sort of notion and and the scientists than 
than other other parts of you know the world we live in. A couple of comments about this, um, Ellery. I like this comment. Maybe we should be banking more of our local corals by fragging them and spreading them out to more advanced reefers. I mean, yeah, um, coral banking is something that uh, is always a really good idea. You know, if, if you have a uh, a fellow reef keeper that's got you know a similar system or or uh, you know a big uh, stick head and, and what have you. In case something happens to your tank, it's great to be able to bank corals so you can always, uh, you know, withdraw from that bank if uh, if need yeah. be. You know, so I think if, if more people did that, that would be a um, that would be a really cool thing. And then Paul was saying here, Great Bearded Reef just watched a video about Florida. It was nice to see and hear that the uh, scientists and other professionals are recognizing the hobbyists these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, there's there's one there's one caveat, and that is that. If we are banking all these things, we're really not protecting all of the brown corals. So all these brown corals will like not be like if we do, you know, arc these corals and, and have to replant these corals, take them out of people's aquariums and put them back. We're only going to probably reseed the limited edition yeah. charity like things. We'll never put back the brown ones because nobody keeps brown corals anymore. Well, you know, you, you get the brown corals and if you know what you're doing, you color them up, right? You make them blue. Yeah. You make them purple. Yeah. All right, so Josh, you're uh, you're you're also a hobbyist, right? Because um, behind you, throughout the whole stream, we've had this uh, fish tank behind you. How, how big is that tank, and, and what's in there? Oh, uh, it's a I think a 24 gallon. Um, where I'm sitting, I used to have a 130 gallon all SPS tank, which you know kept me busy. And um, and that, you're in a part you're an apartment in New York City. Yeah, this is I'm in Manhattan. I'm near Union Square. So, um, yeah, it's a little tough, but, uh, how, how were you able like to I get said, the large tank in the apartment? How did you uh, manage that one? Um, not, not necessarily the move in, but how do, how, how'd you get the, uh, the folks that run the apartment building to agree to have you have so much water? Oh, oh, <laughs> um, you know, I, I probably got lucky that, um, we, installed it um when no one was looking <laughs> you know maybe just they put it in the elevator and nobody nobody saw it until much later i didn't really have an issue what proved to be my downfall the first of the downfall of the tank was that there was a condensation line just right over here that used to be for an air conditioner and i had an automatic water change system that was hooked into the rodi in the kitchen and would do a, a one gallon water change automatically up to 15 gallons whenever I wanted. So I could basically like, you you eliminate like the need to dose, you eliminate the need to do like major water changes, you eliminate all this, like all these other yeah. things just by consistent small water changes. Um, the problem is that the RODI, um, the waistline water did not really, you know, those, those things that they're supposed to cut it off, like when it's off and not apply any pressure through the whole system, uh, they're a bit like buggy. In general, I've tried a lot of them, and they're kind of buggy. And anyhow, the wastewater was going down, and um, it's supposed to go down through this condensation pipe, but everyone has this condensation pipe, and there are other air conditioners. And, like, when it got to the ground floor, it, like, hit the in, – inside of the pipe, it hit the bottom of the pipe and then bounced up and splashed inside of the pipe. Mm. But the pipe has a tiny little hole. So down on the ground floor, three floors beneath me, water was, like, coming out. And they are like, why is this water coming out? <laughs> And for a while, nobody knew, which was great for me. But um, mm -hmm. eventually, that clued them in. Hey, there's all this water up in this tank, and and I had a couple of other. You know, you have floods, you have overflows. It happens. Um, you know, it happens. You know, thank God for um, what do they call it? A uh, um, a bathtub, right? That 
that inside of the tank where the sump is, you put in a pool liner. Yeah. And like there were a couple of times where that pool liner saved the know, day, saved, saved me. Yeah. So I, I was told at a certain point, like I was having a lot of issues with the tank at the time. Um, and I was busy. So I was planning on kind of shutting it down around the same time. They were like, we don't really like this thing up there. So I shut it down. I didn't have anything for a while. And then I just decided that, um, you know, I had such a, a good time with the clownfish breeding because um, I had two clowns in there that were breeding that I wanted to do it with my kids again. So I got a it's a 24 gallon all in one tank. I'm showing the and, uh, I'm uh, showing the tile with the uh, the, the. Oh, yeah. With the yeah. eggs. Yeah yeah. 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 So I had I was breeding clownfish for a while, which was a lot of fun. We were breeding just like regular, regular Ocellaris. And um, and I was selling them not for making money, but just, you Supporting know, you the, have 400 uh, fish, you got to get rid of them. So I would take them to um, Manhattan Aquariums, which, you know, I just got to say they're a great store in New York City. Joe and his team, you know, they do, they have, it's a great store. They do great service. They service all of the major, um, you know, kind of like uh, commercial tanks or places that are in like offices yep. and whatnot. So I just want to mention them. And um, anyhow, so I sold them a bunch of fish, and now I'm back at it again. I have these two fish in there. One is a, a Sanjay uh, Black Photon. The other one, I think it's like a, um, a Wyoming White or a Snowflake or something, cool. uh, both of which I got from Randy. And I also got a very small anemone at the time, which is now, if you, can, you can't really see it, but the entire right side of the tank is just this massive um, pink kind of rainbow anemone, which is really beautiful. And... In the past few months, the clownfish have finally, after two years, have finally discovered it. So hopefully, some some eggs are in the future, and um, and then I will. That will then cause this table behind me to be covered with a whole bunch of little, you know, one and two gallon tanks from Petco, as I do the uh, the rotifers and the brine and all and all that stuff. That's really, I mean, if you'd never done that before, that is a part of the hobby that is just incredibly rewarding. Um, so if your clownfish are laying eggs, raising clownfish is not that difficult. You do need to be, be prepared and you do need to read a lot. But that's another like part of the hobby that like if people did that, they would just be, you know, like mentally rewarding. It's, it's so, incredible. you know, I've always uh, we might have talked about this before the uh, the stream. I don't think uh, we were talking about it on the stream. But um, so, yeah, I, I have always had clownfish. They've laid eggs in, in my reef tanks and, you know, larger reef tanks. And, and um, sometimes it's like impossible to get them out because they're attached to a rock or sometimes they're in the yes. corner of the tank and all that sort of thing. Um, and once once they uh, once they hatch in a reef tank, it's like it's done. Right. There's no nothing you can oh. do about it. So you're not raising them in that 25 gallon tank. No. You're you're basically no, no. getting them to spawn lay eggs what have you in like a little flower pot type of thing or some sort of yeah, tile exactly. well, and, and so, something where you can transfer that tile or flower pot out of the tank into something else exactly so you just get them get them to lay eggs comfortably so they're just laying they'll lay them in the same spot every number x number of days and then once they're doing that you take some you know reef glue or putty and you get like a tile like just a ceramic tile and people even sell like specialized kind of frag plugs that are, you know, kind of, I don't know, I guess the, the clownfish like them. And you glue it right in that place. And, you know, the first couple of weeks, they're probably not going to lay the eggs in that spot anymore. But then they will. They will just like go back to habit and they'll lay it like 
it's almost like they know they're going to lay it like right in the middle of that that tile if if you put it in the right spot and then you have to time how long it is from when they lay the eggs to when the eggs hatch it, the eggs will hatch overnight you need to take the tile out on that night before they hatch put it into another dedicated tank with the same tank water and you very gently aerate it and then the, the eggs will hatch in that tank you have to have your rotifers ready and then you have to have more rotifers they eat a lot of them and then brine shrimp and you know baby newly hatched uh um, brine shrimp and then you have to have typically you know your reef nutrition tdo a the little tiny little things and then you go to b and it's a whole process you can't do it in the tank there's no way right. the fish go over the overflow the parents eat them crabs eat them there's no way so you have to be really you know in tune with it so how long of a process is it? I mean, in terms of like, you know, the um, when when they're like fry, right? I mean, when they're just so small yeah. and, and um, barely visible to the naked eye or something like that. I mean, how much work are you like, is, is this like, you know, several times a day where you've got to like be feeding them the rotifers and, and what have you? I mean, how intense is it? Um, no, you can, you, the rotifers, if you have enough rotifers in there <clears throat> and, you know, you're putting in a little bit of, um, you know, like uh, um, some some algae, right? You're, you're putting in some some green water. Um, the rotifers are eating the green water and reproducing, um, and they're doing that in a bucket as well. So what you do is you kind of sieve out the you, go, you put through a filter that rotifer water, and then put the rotifers into the tank. You only have to do that really once a day. I mean, no, that's not bad. From the eggs that from the eggs that I hatched, my success rate. You know, I've had up to 400 um, fish hatch. And then made to like to a saleable point, maybe three hundred in, in in one batch. It's a lot, um, but to a saleable point is probably like six months. I mean, you really need them to be like big enough to handle to go into like kind of a you know a store, a commercial aquarium. Um, so they need to be big enough, and they need to be you know obviously eating very well and. Um, it takes a while to grow them out. It definitely does. Yeah, it is definitely a lot of work, and it's a, it's a lot, you know, in terms of the uh, the fish. Have you ever thought about getting into the whole uh, designer thing in terms of pairing different clownfish, or or just getting a couple of um, um, you know really cool designer clownfish and trying to get them I, to mate? I have that. Really, in my opinion, requires a basement, <laughs> <laughs> which I do not have. So um, I can't. You know, in order to do that, look, if you get two designer clownfish. It could take them years to start laying eggs. Yeah. So if you're really into reproducing clownfish and, you know, look at like MBI and all that for all that information, you typically have like a whole bunch of mated pairs. And you're just kind of waiting on which ones are going to start doing it at whatever particular time. Um, so you've got like maybe, you know, five to ten tanks. And maybe they're all plumbed together, maybe not, whatever. But I don't have, you know... This is just like if they happen to do this in this little spot in here, like I know how to raise them over there. I don't have a whole dedicated thing. And, and then once the raising them is done, I'll shut that whole thing down and I'll get my dining room table back. But, <laughs> be, you know, if you don't live in the city, be very appreciative of your basement. Yes, I uh, I feel very fortunate to have a uh, a big basement for all of my tanks. It's kind of like my spot, and um, my wife rarely comes down here, so I uh, it definitely it is an advantage of being a house. But I also kept reef tanks in in the city when I used to live in the city, and uh, it yeah. was a lot of fun. I mean, you mentioned New World Aquarium at the beginning, and I always used to like look forward to like hopping on the subway 
you know, and going all the way down to Gren, going down to Greenwich Village and, and checking out New World uh, Aquarium. I, I don't know. Yeah, there were two. There were two stores. There was New World Aquarium, and then there was another little one across the street that was down in the basement. And at, I yeah. mean, that was kind of like I don't want to say the golden age of of you know reefing there, but um, that was like those were the two spots. And then the little one closed, and New World Aquarium moved up to 40th Street, and then eventually closed. And then you know uh, Joe Cap originally was just in service business and he used to have like it wasn't a store it was like you go up into like this warehouse room with like no windows but he had all these tanks in there because he needed livestock in order to stock his um service business right so you would go in there and he would just have all these like you know hammer corals and frog spawn like all the stuff to like you know inventory for for his business and then you know thankfully he eventually opened up the store which I think is great. It's the only store in, in Manhattan right now. I mean, there are other little places that have a little salt water, but there's nothing like that. So uh, hats off to him for, you know, kind of being the rock around here for uh, for aquariums for a while. Yep. Um, so Ellery's saying there's a few stores in Queens when I last visited my parents before COVID. Yeah, I think like in... Yeah, I'm just talking about yeah, Manhattan. There's Queens, definitely, yeah, um, Queens has always had good, good places. Brooklyn. Um, Brooklyn has always had had good places. Yeah, Kenny on Staten Island. They're still there. I will. I will. Yeah, Kenny definitely. If you can visit Kenny, um, if you're curious about the stores, somebody was asking before about like you know the reefs database and everything. In on the website, there's also the map. The map. Um, the map of all the stores, and there's also an app. We have a, an iOS and an Android app that allow you to like just you know. Use GPS or put in your zip code, and you can find all the stores. And it, it's not just for New York; like wherever you are, California, anywhere really in the globe, we've tried to get all the stores in there. Admittedly, there are stores that have closed that are still listed in there. There's, there's a little button you push that, like, will say, "Hey, report the store closed" or "Update the store." But for anyone who's trying to find stores in their region, please check out the Reefs app. Go into you know the App Store and just search for Reefs, and uh, it's free to download. And you can find all the stores that are local to you. So, Josh, what's um, what, what what's um, the future hold in terms of uh, reefs.com, Advanced Aquarist, and, and Manhattan Reefs? Any any um, things you guys have in the pipeline? Either one of those uh, entities? Um, yeah, well, we're working. Uh, we're doing a lot of cool stuff in the app for sure right now. Um, we're doing a lot of cool stuff around um, these kind of in between swaps and um, mail order, like a live sale, uh, group buy. We're trying to build that into the technology so people can do that sort of stuff much, much easier. Um, we're trying to get more more content. I mean, you know, in the day, in the age of the influencer, you have podcasts and video casts like this one, which are, which are great. And you get to, you know, really have, meet the, the people. Yeah. You have, you experience their personality a bit. But it isn't really the same as an article. So I don't know. I don't know if people are are done with reading for, you know, for human history. Um, we're going to continue to put out good content. We're going to we're going to do more events. I mean, the events are the swaps are coming back. I just don't awesome. have a date for the. I can't I can't announce it. There's there's no way that we're not going to do another swap. We just got to figure out when and where. Um, so yeah, that's it. And also, you know, we we do go to to. Uh, to Reef of Palooza and to Macna and all that, um, we typically have a, a booth or a table or something, something like a party or something there. So um, hopefully we'll, we can see you there as well. 
Yeah, I'm going to be at Reef Blues in New York uh, again this uh, June, so uh, perhaps I'll see you guys there. Absolutely. We'll be there. Um, all right, man. Josh, any uh, any final words before we uh, sign off tonight? I just wanted to thank you, you know, just for um, for for uh, for the opportunity to, you know, to talk to you and, um, you know, the hobby. I'm, you know, it's different, but I'm as passionate about it as um, as as I ever have been. It's different. The science is cool. The technology is cool. Thing run these tanks run themselves yeah. a lot better, yeah. which means that a lot more people can get involved in this hobby. So everyone, everybody should just kind of think on that for a little bit. You know, people don't always get along so well. You know, everyone's got kind of, especially in this day and age, they're a little. Everyone's a little sensitive. So when you meet someone that's in the hobby and meet someone that's a reefer, you know. They're your buddy. They're, they're, that's your kindred spirit, you know? So uh, do your best to, like, just kind of, without clubs, without events, build your own community. Find a couple friends, do little swaps, you know, get a couple beers, whatever you got to do. And, uh, you know, just just have fun with it. Take, take it easy. You know, things about, about your tank can be stressful. Losing animals is stressful. Tank crashes are stressful. Technology and costs are stressful. Remember, this is supposed to be a hobby. It's supposed to relax you. If it's not doing that, then you're doing something wrong. And fix that because this is a, re- a very rewarding hobby in many ways. So. It is. There, there's, there's a lot of nuances to this hobby, and there's a lot of ups and downs. And uh, you got to just be um, – got to be. I've always found you got to be a very patient person. And, uh, you know, I've talked about this before, but when, you've had, you, know, when you have these, um, you know, issues with the tank, it really does impact your um, – you know, the way you feel and your demeanor and all that stuff. It's like depressing, okay. you know, but, uh, your whole Zen is off you're, you're completely Yeah. But there are completely. just so many awesome rewards of this hobby. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, I completely agree with that message. Uh, Josh, Oh, Rob up to New York. Thanks man for the, um, for this, for the super chat comments. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Um, Filipino reefer. Yeah. See you in rap New York for sure. Definitely. All right, Josh, man. So that's gonna uh, that's gonna do it for the show. I really want to thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to okay. be with us uh, tonight. And I also want to thank both uh, Bulk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine for supporting and sponsoring the show, and also for all you folks out there that tuned in. And I appreciate the super chats for sure. Finally, a big thank you to Paul, Great Bearded Reef, the moderator. Also, want to let you know that all episodes of Wrapping with Reef Bum are now available as podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. My next live stream, this is going to be a good one, next Thursday, May 19th, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. i got Jake Adams back on the show, so uh, I'm sure Jake's going to have a lot to say. And, uh, He's the man. Could be a marathon session for sure. But uh, anyway, if you want to check out the full upcoming schedule for uh, guests on Wrapping with Reefbum, visit reefbum.com and check out the YouTube section. Until then, be safe and be well.